we're doing in January a, a series on the parables of Jesus. So we're starting off uh, in Matthew chapter 18, uh, the parable of the lost sheep, it's often called, but actually it could be the stray sheep. Roger's going to bring that reading for us. Parable of the Lost Sheep. See that you do not despise one of these little ones. For I tell you that in heaven their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. What do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray, does he not leave the ninety-nine on the mountains and go in search of the one that went astray? And if he finds it, truly, I say to you, he rejoices over it more than over the ninety-nine that never went astray. So it is not the will of my Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. This is God's word. Thanks, what are parables? Well, obviously, Jesus used parables a lot in, in terms of teaching. They're a great teaching tool, but they're simple, uh, familiar, somewhat familiar stories, and yet they have a profound meaning, um, a, a deep and profound message for the hearers. But for some of us, uh, it takes a little while for the penny to drop, so to speak, to grasp the true meaning and apply it to our lives. I remember uh, Coming to a time of a special birthday, uh, it was one of those birthdays with an O on the end, and uh, I, it happened to be a Saturday, and I was having the day off, and um, I, I was a bit slow in getting up and uh, getting dressed, so I was just uh, just in my own little world, uh, taking my time, grazing a little bit, breakfast, you know, and uh, reading this or that, and about ten thirty in the morning, uh, in dropped some visitors. And uh, they happened to be uh, visitors I knew, some of the family. And I said, oh, it's nice of you to drop in just uh, out of the blue. That, that's nice, you know. Just take us as you find us, you know. We, we, we'll be right with that. And um, time went on and another half an hour or three quarters of an hour and another group came. And then another half an hour, another group came. And slowly the penny dropped. They'd come for my birthday. And someone, uh, my beloved, had secretly organised them to come. And uh, it slowly dawned on me. And she kept telling me, you know, you should get dressed. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's a bit like the parables. You know, we can say we've heard it all before. uh, The parable of the lost sheep. It's a nice story. We all know uh, how the shepherd cares for us individually, goes out and finds that lost or stray sheep and brings that one sheep back to the fold. And you'd be right to think that it's so wonderful that the shepherd does that. It certainly teaches us that we are saved by grace and we continue to be saved by grace individually. 
But there's much more. And I want to focus this morning on not only how the grace of God changes us, but it also changes us not only individually, but it changes us into a community. Uh, This grace changes us into a community, a, a unique and beautiful, but different from the world community. And we need to think about that and how we can live in this community. Now, parables are metaphors. That is, they have uh, an application to life. And to meditate on this parable of the lost sheep, uh, there are some key images, some key components. uh, And you'll see these. uh, And I'm going to look at three. There's the straying sheep. There's the searching shepherd and then there's the 99 left on the mountainside that didn't stray. There is the community, in other words. The straying sheep, the searching shepherd and the community, the 99 that didn't go astray. So what do we learn about the straying sheep? Well, I think, you know, we know, we might say sheep do stray But why do they stray? Well, there's two things I think we can learn about straying sheep. Uh, They have no sense of direction and they have no sense of danger. And part of sometimes our ideas about sheep is that, oh, well, the sheep um, rarely stray. They're pretty comfortable. They get looked after. Um, uh, they don't need much of a shepherd to guide them. Uh, just let them go and, and, and they'll be right out in the paddock. <laughs> uh, how we learn such ideas um, does not under, come from understanding sheep in real life, I think. And my first understanding about sheep was when I was about 10 years old and I was on my grandfather's property, the other side of Bendigo, and he, he had a, a sheep farm and... Um, I was out there and they were wanting to put the sheep through the race, through the, through the yards and separate some of them out. And in my enthusiasm as a young 10-year-old, I was wanting to herd them up and get them through that gate. Now, one frightened sheep in particular, uh, for whatever reason, bolted towards, not the gate, but directly towards the middle of the fence and went smack into the fence head on, broke its neck and died right there. Uh, No sense of direction, I thought. And um, I was a bit saddened why the sheep would do that sort of thing. But I was just trying to help it after all. I mean, why would it do that? And then, of course, I was really sad because my grandfather had lost a valuable sheep even if it was stupid. And, uh, you know, when we think about it, sheep just graze for the next blade of grass. If you look at them, they keep their head down and they graze that bit of grass and then they move one step at a time onto the next one. And that's what they do. Uh, Step by step, they can easily wander away. And stupidly, they wander into various locations. It's well known in Europe and England that they'll get and they'll keep going searching for the blade of grass on the most remote and highest place out overlooking a cliff where there's no escape 
And what happens then? They either die of starvation or they go down and plunge to their death. And uh, they have no sense of direction. They're not like a dog which will find its way home or a cat. Uh, No matter what you do, they'll go in every other direction than the one they should go in. And um, this this is sheep in real life. And yet the Bible has so much to say about uh, this analogy, this imagery. Right back in the Old Testament, uh, the psalmist uh, reminds us that we, God's people, are the sheep of his pasture, the flock that is under his care, and we belong to him. But the warning comes at the end of that psalm, which is all about worshipping God in the right way. It says, Don't harden your heart. In other words, don't wander away. And that's what we do. Um, Sheep do that and they have no sense of direction. They have no sense of danger. They can wander off to be on their own and then they're vulnerable to attack by the foxes and the wolves and the stray dogs. There is safety in numbers. There is safety being with the shepherd. And staying with the flock brings protection. But sheep don't have that sense often. And right now you might say, well, that's not me. That's not me. I I, I, I don't wander off. I'll stay with the flock. But uh, it's probably that other person out there or over there or, or somewhere else. But how does this apply? And again, the Bible says, in the Old Testament. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. Each one of us has turned our own way. And our hearts turn away from God. Uh, We stray because we think there's something better to find rest and security in than the shepherd. And in subtle ways, we exchange the truth of God and about God that we can justify our goodness in other things, in another ways, And so we feed our hearts on something that we think will be better for us to bring a happy life, to bring a better image of ourselves or status. We, we want a better home or a better family or better, more money or better possessions. We say, I know I'm somebody if I just have this bit more. But of course, when the crisis comes, when the flood comes or the fire comes, when the stock market crashes, when you lose your house and your money and your possessions, your best friend or even your wife, you lose the dreams of your life, what happens then? Well, that's when you're on the edge of the cliff facing the reality that either you're going to starve or you're plunged to your death. That's when you're facing the wolves and the foxes and facing the guilt and the shame of the critics. You're facing a spiritual, emotional, mental and maybe physical plunge. And in the parable of the prodigal son, we see this very clearly, don't we? We know his big goal was to please himself. Father, just give me my inheritance so I can go and live the life I want to live, the way I want to live it. And off he went and lived his life. And he didn't wake up until he found himself in the pig pen 
wanting to feed on the food of the pigs. How horrible is that for a Jew? And of course, his plunge down as well was when he said, I know what I'll do. I won't consider myself as a son to the father. I'll, I'll just be a servant. I'll be a slave to my father and I'll go back and beg to be a, his slave. You know, this is what the Bible tells that our hearts are like. We stray, we wander away. And there's a brief comment in the very start of the Bible, in Genesis chapter 6, about our, the way we are, our default mode, if you like. And this is talking about the spread of sin, how it spread everywhere to every man. The Lord saw that the wickedness of men was great in the earth and that every intention of their thoughts, every inclination of the hearts was only evil continually. Do we get that continually? That is, we will turn our hearts away from God. Even as we go out from here today, we'll be thinking of other things and we won't put God in the picture. We'll be putting ourselves first in some way. Can we see this? Don't we see it in our words, in our actions, in our thoughts, the desires of our hearts, our intentions? They counter what is good, only evil all the time, it tells us there in Genesis 6, verse 5. You know, and Christians can try uh, very hard sometimes to be polite and truthful and listen and not shout and live by the law of love. But nevertheless, Uh, Dare I say, and and people don't like being called sinners, but we do break God's law, sometimes intentionally, but often unintentionally. And we just take these little steps to move away from God, little steps one at a time, like the grazing sheep, to backslide or to develop an attitude of pride. And we struggle to understand our own hearts, let alone other people's hearts. You know, a loud remark from someone sounds like, to, to them, it's, it's enthusiasm. But to someone else, it sounds like anger. Or, or perhaps a joke sounds hilarious to someone, but that's actually very insensitive, according to other people. And we don't do and say the things we ought to do, and we leave undone the things we should say and do. And our hearts, our thoughts in putting God first, are turned away. You know, in the context of this parable, Jesus' disciples, the question they asked is, said, who will be the greatest in the kingdom? That was an attitude, you see, that divides. And that's what the straying sheep teach us, that we're more sinful than we dare to believe. Well, now, what about the, the seeking shepherd? And the interesting thing is just before Jesus tells this parable, he asks this question, well, what do you think? And of course, it's anticipating the answer. Of course, you'd know about the shepherd. You'd know what the shepherd would do. He'd go out after that lost sheep. He's not going to leave that precious one sheep straying away there in the wilderness, uh, at, at vulnerable to the, the wolves and the foxes. What do you think? Does a shepherd really love that one sheep? Of course he does. 
How can we not appreciate what the shepherd is like, what God is like? Even when we stray and find we're powerless to return, God seeks after us. What what an amazing thought that God would do that for us. He comes to seek us and he knows us by name and he cares so much about us. And he's not willing to lose one, not one. And it's not about leaving the others on the hillside. We might perhaps think, well, they're helpless on the hillside. No, they're in their community. They're, they're being looked after. They're cared for. But it's, it's all about what God does for this lost sheep. He goes after it. He seeks it. And he wants to bring that lost sheep back to the 99. Now, it's just like in a large family. If one, one child gets sick, what do the parents do? They go to great lengths to help that child get better again. It's not about the others. They're not sick. They still love them and care for them. But they give much attention to the one that gets sick. And of course, the other children want that one child to get better too. And it's the same as one child goes missing. I remember well when one of our children went missing. It was uh, at the very large Sydney Zoo many years ago. And it wasn't the other children that took our attention. It was that one child. Where had she gone? Was she seeking company of the lions? Or she wanted to go a stroll with the tigers? We we were out of our minds. What would we do? We'd call out. We'd seek her out. We wanted to find her desperately. And that's the desire of the shepherd for the sheep. That's God's desire for those that stray away. God desires to call them back, to bring them back to the fold. That's his great desire. And the wonderful thing that God doesn't berate us for our weaknesses. The Bible says he knows how we're formed, that we're dust. Some may think, well, does God have anything better to do? I mean, after all, he's doing a lot of other things. He's upholding the world. He's, he's maintaining uh, things. He runs the universe. He's, uh, he's setting up kings and deposing kings and and doing a lot of other things beside why would he care about that one lost sheep after all he's got 99 others but there's a sense in which all these other things are just a backdrop to this great drama this great um, story of salvation seeking and saving that straying sheep it's a very important thing that God does here and Matthew 18 Verse 13 says, if he finds it truly, absolutely truly, I say to you, he rejoices over it much more than he'd rejoice over the 99 that don't stray. Why rejoice? Of course, uh, this is sort of emphasised in Luke's gospel when when in Luke chapter 15, there's not only the parable of the, the lost sheep, but the parable of the lost coin, the parable of the lost son. Or the prodigal son. Why is there joy in heaven? It tells us there in Luke. There's joy in heaven over this sheep because this is God's amazing grace. Can we not appreciate it? Can we not see that He wants to build His kingdom here? Not because of 